Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Crazy Happy. In this series, we'll journey through Jesus' most famous message, the Sermon on the Mount, and discover the keys to finding the deep happiness we all crave. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you'll leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Does your world feel like it's upside down? What would it take to make you truly happy? Is it simply about having a good job, a big house, losing 10 pounds, or being in a fulfilling relationship? Did you know that God wants you to be happy? Not the world's version of happiness. What if it's not about the contents of your bank account but the contents of your heart. What if it's not about what you can do, but what God can do through you? God wants you to have a blessed life. God wants you to be crazy happy. All right, well, happy May, everybody. Hey, let's give a big welcome to all our live locations. Everybody at Church Online, great to see you guys. Welcome to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim, man. I am thrilled you're here for Week four of our series, Crazy Happy. But uh, hey, before we dive in today, I want to give you some good news about our reopening plans. Um, a couple weeks ago, as our world, I told you, it's kind of slowly opening up now post-pandemic. Well, the good news is, so is our church. So let me tell you something to be crazy happy about. This weekend in Morris County, we launched a third service to welcome more guests live in person and a few more kids in the building because today we opened up our liquid family environment for kids and students of our faithful Dream Team volunteers. Let's hear from them. Grateful for you guys. We are field testing all new check-in and safety protocols and assuming all goes well this month, in June, we're going to reopen Liquid Family for everyone at our broadcast campus. And what we're doing is we're reopening family ministry in stages throughout the spring and summer, so parents don't worry. It's coming soon to a campus near you. Now, this is all part of a much larger plan to reopen and relaunch all seven Liquid campuses this summer and fall. It's part of a special season we're calling, wait for it, homecoming. Now, how many of you have heard of that idea of homecoming? Show of hands, okay? Homecoming is a tradition we're all kind of familiar with, right? I mean, if you think back to high school or college, there was, right, homecoming weekend. It's kind of like a family reunion, right? Friends and family have been apart for a while, kind of get back together. Well, I really believe, guys, after 13 months of COVID, it's time for a reunion at Liquid Church. Amen? Make some noise if you agree. So here's three things you need to know about our homecoming season. First, this spring and summer, every campus will be hosting what we're calling pop-up parties. So if you're ready to kind of shake off the isolation of pandemic life and you want to get back, plugged back in, man, the church in person, let me personally invite you to join us for pop-up parties at your campus. There's small gatherings, we play games, we enjoy some good conversation, and you can explore how to use your gifts to serve others. And, and can I just say as your pastor, Guys, this is so healthy for your soul, okay? We want to welcome you home in person. Secondly, we need to give a shout out to our dream teamers at every campus. I just love you. And have I told you lately I love you? I really do. We so appreciate you. And so every campus is hosting a worship night unplugged just for you this spring and summer. Now, this is a BYOC event. That's bring your own chair. 
because we're going to worship outdoors and under the stars. But you bring your whole family with you. Newcomers are welcome, whoever wants to join a dream team. And then finally, if you're like, man, this sounds fun, but, but where are the dates and the details for these pop-up parties and worship nights? You know, what we just created, I'm so proud of our team. We're launching a new homecoming hub on our website just for you. Check this out. If you go to liquidchurch.com homecoming, you can see all the dates and details about specific events at your campus. Now, today, right now, if you go on there, there's going to be parties and homecoming events listed for Morris and Middlesex and our Mountainside campuses in May. But all campuses are going to have dates and details in June, okay? So, so visit liquidchurch.com homecoming, all the info you need in one place. Guys, this has been a long pandemic. Let me tell you, this is 13 months longer than any of us expected. But I feel like, man, I just, I, my heart's sick. I'm heart's sick. I'm homesick. I feel like we've been separated too long. But praise God, our church family is coming home together. So get involved. Homecoming scenes for everybody uh, in the weeks ahead. And I can't wait to say welcome home in person. In fact, wherever you are, turn to your neighbor right now and say welcome home. Type it in the chat, church online. Welcome home. We can't wait till our whole family's back in the Father's house together. Now, today we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes or the beautiful, blessed attitudes that Jesus taught in his famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, there's a fifth key. We've gone through four Beatitudes. We're on number five, the kind of blessed life that God uh, touches and uses. And Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. I want to read this together, church. Let's say a big, loud voice. Okay, here we go. Blessed are the, what? The merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And we learned that the Greek word for blessed, makarios, it translates to extreme bliss, kind of crazy happy. So we might translate Jesus' words this way. Crazy happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now this is interesting. Because this is the first beatitude where the reward that, that's promised, like you'll receive mercy, is identical to what it's asking you to do. Hey, when you give mercy to others. In other words, crazy happy are those who show mercy to others. For watch this. They'll be shown mercy by God. In other words, according to Jesus, there's this, this very dynamic connection between our relationship with, with him, how merciful he is to us, and how merciful we are to others. See, what happens is when you close your heart to somebody else, right? You, you don't show grace. You don't show kindness to difficult people. Or you, or you don't forgive someone who hurts you. You know what happens? That cuts you off from the grace of God. But the reverse is true. When you watch this, open your heart. You show mercy to people in need, especially to those suckers who don't deserve it. Your life opens wide to God's blessing. Your Father in heaven sees and says, oh, now this is the kind of man or woman I can bless. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So the question is, what exactly is mercy? Now, let's be honest. I think a lot of times we typically think of really two qualities. We think of like compassion and forgiveness, right? Like if you're walking along, you see somebody, you know, kind of begging on the street. Someone's in need. And you're like, I'm going to give them a little bit of money for lunch. You know, that, that's showing mercy, right? Or we think of maybe forgiving someone who doesn't really deserve it, right? Maybe somebody hurt you in some way and, you know, instead of, you know, making them pay, all right, I'm going to show mercy and I'm going to let it go. I forgive them. Compassion, forgiveness. Those are the two qualities of mercy that people typically think of. But here's the deal. Mercy is so much bigger. It's so much more brilliant and beautiful than that. Uh, let me invite you to picture it 
like a diamond. Anybody, can everybody see this? I'm going to hold this up. It's a pretty, pretty big one here. <laughs> if this was really a diamond, I probably wouldn't be a preacher. I'd be doing something else. But <laughs> a diamond is, right, brilliant. Obviously, it's, this is cut for fire. And here's the thing about a diamond. It's multifaceted. Do you know what that means? It's got, like, different faces. And depending how you hold it up, you look at this, each one reveals deeper brilliance. Well, this one has five facets or faces. And this is beatitude number five, blessed are the merciful. And what I want to teach you right now are the five facets of mercy in a message I'm calling Mercy Me. Because <laughs> I guarantee if you, if you will show mercy to others in your life, you will experience God's blessing in yours, in your family, in your work, your relationships. You'll say, man, Mercy Me. As I gave mercy to others, God lavished mercy on me. Everybody say, mercy me. Come on. Mercy me. Here's how you get it from God. Now, this is a very super practical teaching. We're going to go through God's word. And the first facet of showing mercy is this. If you want to show mercy this week, here's number one. It's not real sexy. It's super practical. You need to be patient with people's quirks. <laughs> Anybody got a quirky person in their life? Anybody? Okay, no, don't point at them. Okay, that's <laughs> one way to show mercy is to be patient with their quirks, the people you love, their idiosyncrasies, their odd behavior, their annoying habits. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like it's the person who, who clips their toenails and leaves them in the sink or on the night table. Isn't that nice? Oh, you know right, who that person is. Or maybe it's the teenager who's constantly pouring cereal but can never seem to put the box away. There's like this milk and cereal trail all over your kitchen. Or, or it's, it's the husband who's always 15 minutes late and then he comes in and he hogs a TV remote. Anybody married to a remote hog? Wait a minute, who wrote this in my notes? Does my wife put that in there? <laughs> in other words, you show mercy when you don't get irritated and you don't get angry and you don't get uptight with people's personal quirks. And here's the truth, guys. We've all got them, right? Like, let's be honest, you've got them, I've got them. We all have these little mannerisms and irritating habits, like ways of speaking and thinking and living. But when you control your anger and you say, I'm going to refuse to get upset by their quirks, watch this, you are showing biblical mercy. Now, this is super practical, especially if you are in a relationship. Um, this summer, my wife, Colleen, and I, we're going to celebrate 23 years of marriage. Can we hear it from my wife? That is a merciful, patient person. Now, can I give you the most important marriage advice you will ever get in your life? It's a verse that we put on your mobile app. Write this down, underline it, Ephesians 4, verse 2. It says this, be patient with each other. And let's read this out loud. Making what? Making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because of your love. Underline, making allowance for each other's faults. Men, lean in. Husbands, want the truth? You married a sinner. <laughs> but guess what? She married a bigger one. <laughs> and the truth is, two imperfect people can never make a perfect marriage. You have faults. Your partner has faults. And a great marriage is actually the union between two great forgivers who are constantly doing what Ephesians 4 says. They are making allowance for each other's faults because they're love. So um, I asked my wife this week, I said, hey, you know, we all have faults. I'm sharing, you know, on Sunday about, you know, different faults we have to step over. I said, what, what are some of my faults? Dangerous question. <laughs> I actually, when I asked my wife, I thought she was going to be all sweet, like, oh, honey, you know, you don't really have any. You know, I'm so lucky, you know. She's like, do you have a pen? 
She's like, well, I'll just alphabet- alphabetize. <laughs> it was kind of funny. She like didn't even hesitate. She's like, well, when you're driving and you start like telling a story, oh, you get completely lost. You miss directions. Uh, speaking of driving, the inside of your truck is like a garbage can. And I'm like, wait, wait, what? And she goes, let me show you. She, she takes out her phone. She goes, you throw garbage on the floor of your truck. Look at this. She goes, it's like a dump truck. She goes, then you come home and you do. You hog the remote from me and the kids. We'll be watching a show together. And you waltz and you just change channels. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Thank you. Thank, thank you for the illustration. You know, they say love is blind, but marriage opens your eyes, doesn't it? Listen to me. The number one place that you have a chance to show mercy is in your home. Why? Because you see one another's faults far more than anybody else does. You are up close and personal with those faults, and you got to live with them the rest of your life. So the wise person shows mercy. And what I've noticed is, especially with a lot of couples who divorce, you know what? What I've noticed is that most marriages, they don't die because of one big catastrophe. The truth is most marriages are buried because of a lot of little digs. There's just a little nagging and digging and nagging and digging. But the Bible says make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. In fact, James writes this. He says, the man who makes no allowances for others will find none made for him. So God says, I want you to show mercy to those you love. And there's a theological reason for that. Because above all else, your Father in heaven is merciful. And God has shown you mercy. Guys, there are hundreds of verses about God's mercy and love and compassion in the scriptures. I went through many of them this week. Let me just show you one. Ephesians 2 says this. Look, it says, God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he what? He brought us to life with Christ. And it's by God's grace that you have been saved. So you may be like, Tim, why why should I show mercy to someone annoying you know in my life? And the answer is simple, because God's shown mercy to you. When you were offensive, when you were ignorant and sinful towards him, Christ dies on the cross in your place out of what? Out of mercy. What's the point? God wants you to pass on the mercy you receive from Jesus. You know, in Matthew 18, Jesus asked this question. Look at this. Put this in your notes. He says, shouldn't you have mercy on others just as I had mercy on you. It comes at the end of a story that Jesus tells about this um, unmerciful employee. Jesus is like, there's this guy who owes his boss a ton of money, say like 10,000 bucks. And the boss says, hey, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to cancel your debt. Let's just like wipe it clean. We'll call it even 10 grand. And the guy can't believe it because he's been showing great mercy, right? But then Jesus says he goes out and he meets a friend who owes him 10 bucks, way smaller amount. And he starts grabbing him by the throat and saying, pay me back or I'm going to throw you in prison. And when his boss hears about it, he goes, are you kidding me? I was merciful to you. And you won't show mercy to people who owe you just a little bit? You're a wicked person. And he throws him into prison to be tortured. In other words, God says, if I show great mercy to you, I expect that you will pay it forward. You will extend it and give mercy to others. So one way to do that is to realize that, you know what? Our debt to God is so great that in comparison, everybody else's offenses against me are so, so small. So that lets you off the hook. Like, I don't have to get upset. I don't have to get angry about their annoying quirks or their offensive attitude or their rude behavior. When I make allowance for their faults, 
I'm being most like Jesus. I'm showing mercy the way he showed mercy to me. It's just giving it on a small scale like God gave us on a grand scale. Amen. That's the, watch, that's the heart of it. Okay. Speaking of the heart of mercy, you want to see something kind of fun? One truly thoughtful husband collected a year's worth of his wife's toenail clippings and he made this beautiful heart for her. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that just isn't that touching? Did you just throw up in your mouth a little bit? <laughs> you get the idea? Be patient with people's quirks. That's the first facet of this amazing, amazing diamond called mercy. Now, the second facet of showing mercy is to be willing to help anyone hurting around you. I have a prediction. You ready for it? I'm not a prophet, but I'm just, I'm pretty sure. I can almost promise that this week, God is going to put a person in your path, somebody who's hurting and needs help, as a test for you. In other words, whenever I find, whenever I preach on mercy, God typically tests me the following week, and I know he's going to test you. And you're going to see someone who needs help, and it's going to be like, will you stop and show mercy, or will you be too busy to care? Because if you care, you'll be aware. You actually stop and help and show mercy. You know, Jesus told the, um, the story of the Good Samaritan to make the point about helping the hurting around you. Like, that's the essence of mercy. And uh, a guy came to Jesus one day, and, and he said, hey, what's the most important command in the Bible? He's like, Jesus, I'm in a rush. I don't read the whole Bible. Just give me the TED Talk. <laughs> he said, what's, what matters most to God? And Jesus says, oh, that's easy. It's really two things. Love God with all your heart and love who else? Your neighbor as yourself. It's a whole Bible in a nutshell. Now, it turns out the guy was a lawyer, so he kind of wants to wiggle out of it. <laughs> he says, well, love my neighbor as my, well, who exactly is my neighbor? And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. And of course, he tells the famous story of the Good Samaritan. You know it, a guy's walking down the road to Jericho, and he's robbed and beaten, left for dead on the side of the road. And, and three, three guys pass by, and two of them step over him, cross the street, do nothing. But then the third guy is of a totally other race, totally other culture, religion, but he stops and he helps the man. He actually puts him on his donkey, dresses his wounds, nurses him back to health, takes him to an inn, and actually checks him in and pays the bill for the guy. He says, if he has any other bills, I'll, I'll pay for that too. He basically gives him health care. <laughs> and Jesus looks at the lawyer and he says, now in that story, who is my neighbor? Jesus says this, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the guy who fell into the hands of robbers. The expert in the law replied, um, the one who had what? Say it together, church. Had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Guys, the truth is, you can't love God and your neighbor without being merciful, without helping those around you who God puts in your path who are hurting. Again, I'm, I'm not a prophet. I'm just making a prediction. I can almost tell you this week, I believe God is going to intentionally put in your path somebody who needs help to see if you're just going to be a hearer of the word or a doer. You're going to see somebody who has a physical need or a financial need, or maybe they have some emotional need that they can't, they can't meet themselves, and God's going to put them in your path and say, hey, will you actually extend mercy, or are you going to walk around them, step over, pretend I didn't really see that, and hope somebody else will help them? Guys, this is so practical. It is the central key to the blessed life. When you show mercy to them, watch as God showers mercy on you. You know, a couple of weeks ago after uh, the service, we were talking here at Liquid with a, a single friend about, who was getting her vaccine shot, and she had an appointment. And she knows how to drive, 
but she was like really worried about going by herself to get her, her vaccine shot. And she doesn't have a fear of COVID. She's like, I have a fear of needles. Anybody else hate needles? Okay. Like a big deal for her. Okay. And so my wife, Colleen, actually texted her and she's like, would you like me to go with you? And she's just like, would you be willing to? And Colleen's like, how about I drive you? I'll, I'll pick you up and I'll take you. And our friend, she was like overjoyed. I said, how'd it go, honey? And she says, she said that she was literally praying that God would help her. And then my wife texted. But here's the thing. When my wife put her GP her address in the GPS, she realized it was 90 minutes away just to pick her up. And then it was another half hour to the appointment. And so also my wife realized, I'm going to have to get up at 5.30 a.m. <laughs> to pick up my friend, drive her to the site, wait with her, drive her back. Basically, it's going to take half the day. You know what my wife said? She said, are you kidding me? She goes, I am so glad God gave me this chance to help her. And she said it with a smile that I know my wife's heart, she means it. Can I just tell you by, by time out? Like, I, I get it. Like, I'm up here. I lead this church. I preach the Bible. My wife often looks more like Jesus than I do. Facts. Listen to Romans 12.8. When you do acts of mercy, show mercy with what? What's the word? Cheerfulness. Underline cheerfulness. God says, you don't grin and bear it. Oh, all right. I'll try to be helpful. <laughs> you don't do it with a grudging attitude. Like, okay, I'll get up early tomorrow. And the message paraphrases it this way. I love this translation. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a what? Keep a, a smile on your face. Be crazy happy. I love that. Keep a smile on your face. Guys, that's the face of mercy. It's saying, I, I, I'm so happy I get to help somebody who God has put in my path today because I know that as I bless them, God's going to bless me. Look at this diamond, guys, the three facets of mercy that we're seeing. Be patient with, with other people's quirks. Help, help anybody hurting around me. And this third facet or way you can show mercy this week, tomorrow morning, is to do good to those who hurt me. Now, that's not normal, is it? When someone hurts you, we typically want to do one of two things. Either you want to get even, pay them back, or you want to write them off. Or just avoid it. So I want you to think of that person who hurts you at work. You know, she, she messed you up, or he, she gossiped behind your back, or, or he put you down in front of the team. Either we usually want to get even or write them off. But here's what the Bible says in Ephesians. Listen to this. Don't get bitter or angry or use harsh words that hurt each other. Don't yell at one another or curse or ever be what? Be rude. Instead, be kind and, here it is, merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. Notice how the Bible contrasts six very worldly responses, right? Like it, the Bible the Bible's like so realistic. It's like, here's what people do when they get hurt. They get bitter. They get pissed. They use harsh words. They get rude. See, I just used a rude word back there. That's the way the world responds to offense. They yell back. They accuse. You don't believe me? Just watch cable news. <laughs> Go post something political on Facebook. See, see, see what mercy there is, what civility is. It's completely absent from society today. The Bible says when someone hurts you, be kind and merciful and forgive others just as God forgave you because of Christ. See, if you boil it down, guys, think of it this way. Mercy 
is giving people what they need, not what they deserve. That's what mercy is. It's giving people what they need, not what they deserve. Why? Because that's what God did with you by sending Christ. So, so we don't get what we deserve. Listen, listen to me. If I got what I deserve from God, I wouldn't be sitting here. I'd be dead. I wouldn't even be alive. But the Bible says, don't just forgive people who hurt you. I want you to do good to them. You have the Holy Spirit in you now. Jesus expands on this. Look at this. He says, love your enemies. He says, do good to them. So it's not just like, don't do anything bad. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. What? Why would I do that? Watch the boomerang. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. You'll most look like your daddy. Because God is kind to who? The ungrateful and the wicked. Jesus says, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Full of mercy. So understand, when you bless someone who's hurt you, you look like Jesus the most in that moment. You're most like your Abba Daddy who's merciful. So here's a question for you to suck on right now. You ready? Who's hurt you most recently in life? Just think about that. I'm going to leave that question up for a few seconds. Who's hurt you the most recently in life? Can you think of them? Picture their face, their initials. That's the person in your life who needs your mercy the most. Guys, you've probably heard me say this before. It's not profound, but it's true. Hurt people hurt what? People. Hurt people hurt people. In other words, the person who hurt you the most, most needs a massive injection of mercy. Your mercy. God says it's the key to being crazy happy. Because when you hold on to that grudge, you refuse to forgive. Listen, you ain't getting even. You're just making yourself miserable, not crazy happy. If somebody hurts you, watch. If somebody hurts you, yeah, and you get even, it puts you on the same level morally. You're no better than they are. But if you bless them, you do good to them, you are actually above them morally. Love your enemies, do good to them, then your reward will be great. You'll be children of the Most High because God's kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just like your Father's merciful. You are never more like your Father in heaven when you forgive someone who's hurt you. You know, there's a famous story about Abraham Lincoln. After the Civil War, uh, the southern states were defeated by the north about 150 years ago. And President Lincoln spoke to a crowd in Washington from the balcony of the White House. And Lincoln was laying out his plan for reconstruction. At the end of his speech, a famous senator from Iowa, I think this was James Harlan, He yelled out at Lincoln, he said, what do we do with the rebels? In other words, what do we do with the enemy, the Confederates, who started the whole war in the first place? And the crowd was very unmerciful. They actually started shouting back, hang them, hang them, hang them. And what's interesting in this famous story is that Lincoln's youngest son, Tad, he was about 11 years old at the time, he was staying next to his father. And he looked up at his dad, he said, no, Papa, no, no, don't hang them. Hang on to them. And Lincoln said, that's it. My my son has the answer. We're not going to hang them. We're going to hang on to them. My enemies are going to become my friends, my brothers and sisters. That, my friends, is mercy. That is why Lincoln was one of our greatest presidents. Do you see the beauty, the brilliance, the depth of the facets of mercy? It's beautiful. 
Do good to those who hurt me, and you'll be a child of God. Now, this fourth facet is related, and this is really important because a lot of us are under attack. It's be kind to those who offend me. You know, I think it goes right without saying right now that cultural attacks on Christians are going up. Have you noticed? <laughs> it's increasing, okay? People are making slurs at Christians, taking pot shots at believers, and the church has been attacked like never before in America. A lot of good reasons for that. Some of them are self-inflicted. Others just, it's part of the culture right now. But there's a lot of groups really pushing kind of, you know, an anti-Bible kind of agenda because, guess what? God's word represents a barrier. <laughs> the, the barrier is this. We love everybody, but we actually hold on to what God's truth is. We're saying, you know, God's truth is God's truth, and we, we have to follow it, right? P Peter said it's better for, for us to obey God rather than man, but the attacks are going up. So what do you do when people attack you? You know, people who offend you. You know, I recently saw this headline where it was, it was interviewing this author, and he was just like mocking God, saying, look at the church, man. If that's Jesus' wife, I don't want any part of this stupid Jesus. And really, he was saying a lot more blasphemous stuff than that. And he brought up all these divisive issues, you know, transgender, white supremacy, protection of the unborn, political issues. Just called Christians toxic, basically. I'm reading it, and like, I'm, I got pretty thick skin. It was, it was offensive. And you know what? That same offensive spirit is dividing families. It's, it's dividing friends. It is tarnishing our witness with non-Christians. And that, I think, is the problem, the fatal flaw in the culture war mentality. It's a no-win situation. It's lose-lose. See, as a leader, let me tell you something. Here's a secret. I don't get involved with lose-lose situations. I am looking for win-win situations. And anytime you're in a conflict with somebody and they offend you, you have a decision to make. Do I want to win the argument or do I want to win them to Christ? You leave this up. These are the stakes. Do you want to win the argument or do you want to win them to Christ? The reality is you never get your point across by being cross. <laughs> you can't argue somebody into the kingdom of God. Think of it this way. You're never persuasive when you're abrasive. <laughs> You've got to say, you know what? I'm actually more interested at a higher level operating the kingdom. I'm more interested in winning them to Christ than winning the argument. Let me give you an example of what can happen when you're kind to somebody who's offensive to you. In 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul he gives his own life as an example. Look what Paul writes. He says, even though I was once a blasphemer, I, I ridiculed God, and a persecutor, I beat up his church. I was a violent man, actually. I was shown what? Say it together. Mercy. Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. See, if you lived in Paul's day and you met Paul when he was Saul, before he met Jesus, let me tell you something. You probably wouldn't be too interested in being kind to, to Brother Saul. <laughs> Saul was attacking Christians. He, he wasn't attacking them in the media. He was physically assaulting Christians, throwing them in jail, even having them killed. And he hated Christ. And he hated Christ's church. But look what Paul said. He said, I was shown what? Mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for others who'd believe on him and receive eternal life. <laughs> How much mercy does God have for atheists? <laughs> unlimited. For blasphemers, unlimited. For those who mock him and attack his bride, unlimited patience and mercy. Jesus showed Paul extreme mercy, and it changed Paul's heart. 
His, his kindness literally melted Paul's toxic, violent heart with love. And you know who Paul became? The greatest apostle outside the, the Jewish world. He writes half the New Testament and the verses we're reading today. You think mercy can change hearts? Let me tell you something. When you're kind to those who attack your faith, to those who offend your values, you have no idea how God will use that to change their life. You know that? You're, you're, listen to me. Your response, how you respond, may literally be an entryway to a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And God's mercy may actually change the course of their whole life, their family, change their legacy. So you got to decide when you get offended. What kind of Christian do I want to be? One who wins arguments or one who wins people to Jesus? Paul's like, you know what? Be kind to those who offend you because that's how the kingdom advances. You defeat your enemy by making him your brother or sister, which leads to the fifth and final facet. I think this is the most beautiful of all. The final facet of practicing mercy this week is God is challenging you to build bridges of love to the unpopular. You know, right now, there are people in your world, people live on your street that nobody wants to hang out with. There's, there's people you work with or you're in the classroom with and everybody tells a joke behind their back. Maybe because they have those quirks, right? Or they have a different lifestyle or, or maybe they have a different religion or they dress differently because their culture, whatever. They're not in the cool crowd, okay? They're not popular. They're outcasts. Can you think of that person? at your work, at your school, building a bridge of love to the unpopular is what I call premeditated mercy. <laughs> when you hear the word premeditated, you think premeditated murder. I'm talking about premeditated mercy. I stole that from Rick Warren. I gave him credit. I love this. It's where you intentionally reach out to the unpopular and you build a bridge of love to them in the name of Jesus. And, and to me, guys, this really is one of the most beautiful facets of the mercy diamond. Again, premeditated mercy is when you intentionally, you, it's not by chance, you build friendships to people who don't have any friends. And you intentionally build friendships with people, by the way, who are not Christians. And you intentionally forge friendships with people who are like, they're outcasts, man. They're not loved. They're not accepted by the mainstream for whatever reason. Maybe it's their lifestyle. Maybe it's their looks. Maybe it's a learning disability. Whatever it is. But showing mercy means I'm going to intentionally build a bridge of love to the unpopular like Jesus did. Let me show you this in, in Matthew 9. Last passage here. The Bible says this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. And it says this. When the Pharisees saw this, the church people, <laughs> they asked his disciples, Hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if you're in the IRS, by the way, I apologize to you, okay? This isn't like getting personal, okay? You, you may be unpopular, but, but in Bible times, tax collectors were notorious sinners, like the worst of all. You know why? Because they were allowed to skim whatever they could get. You get to rip off your neighbors. So a tax collector for Rome would, would, would knock on your door and say, I'm here to collect for Caesar, and Caesar asks for one silver coin from every household. But the tax collector says, I want five from you. And you got no choice, but you got to pay it. So it's extortion, right? A tax collector would pass the one on, and he pockets four. So the worst job, the most unpopular person in Israel, because they were cheating a crook, were the tax collectors. Basically, it went like this. Prostitutes, lepers, tax collectors. It don't get lower than that. They're the people everybody avoided. 
So Matthew has a dinner party for Jesus, and Jesus sits down alongside the tax collectors. Look at this, what the New Living Translation says. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Turn to your neighbor and no, don't say that. Such scum, it's so harsh. They're upset. Jesus is building a bridge of love to tax cheats. On hearing this, Jesus said, it ain't the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick. And then he says, you don't understand your Bible. Go and learn what this verse means. And he quotes Hosea, look at this. I desire what? Mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is quoting Hosea 6.6, and he's like, why do I have a party with the sinners? Because you don't understand what God wants. God desires mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, you can't go to church and worship and sing Hillsong, and you treat people like dirt. My father wants a soft heart, not a legalistic judgmental one for broken people. And the Pharisees didn't like it. Because they thought mercy, again, it's just forgiving people and, and being kind to the poor. And Jesus, no, mercy includes building bridges to love, love to the unpopular. He says, I am intentionally going to party with people that ain't nobody want to hang out with. The sick, the sinful, the fringe. Why? Because I understand mercy and you don't. And he says, go learn what Hosea 6 means. I desire m- mercy, not sacrifice. That's what God's looking for. Why does God want you to build a bridge of love to unpopular people in your world, especially unbelievers? Because you can't win your enemies to Christ. You only win your friends. And before somebody accepts Jesus as their friend, they want to know, will you be my friend? Long before people come to Christ, they come to you, his disciple. And you can't win an enemy to Christ. You have to be a friend to sinners first. That's an act of premeditated mercy. So here's my question. Ready? When was the last time you invited a non-Christian out to lunch or coffee or had in your house for dinner? Have you recently shared a meal with any notorious sinners besides yourself? Because <laughs> this is where the rubber meets the road, guys. Let me, let me ask you this, those of you who are long-time like church people, do you even have any close non-Christian friends? Because if you don't, you're not like Jesus. The, the problem is what I've found is the longer you're a Christian, the more you hang out in church— the less you tend to hang out with non-believing people. You have a lot of Christian friends, but no non-Christian friends. And the question is like, how do you expect non-believers to meet Jesus if you're not building a bridge and inviting them over for dinner or lunch or coffee or whatever? See, Jesus invested his time with the outcasts, social outcasts, spiritual outcasts, and the religious people were indignant. So I got to warn you. Let me just warn you this week, okay? If you... Try to live a life of premeditated mercy. Let me just warn you, the the legalists will attack you. They will criticize you. They will have a beef with you. Why? Because they did with Jesus. It wasn't sinners who disliked Jesus. It was the church people because Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. In other words, it's like a Democrat hanging out with (gasps) a Republican. Or a, conser- a group of conservatives, we're going to invite that liberal person over for dinner. Can you believe it? Or somebody of another lifestyle. Or someone who's involved in some kind of sin that you totally disagree with. Listen to me. If you live a life of mercy, you will get criticized. I get criticized all the time. You know why? Because I'm a bridge builder. 
I got friends who are right-wing. I got friends who are left-wing. I stand in the middle. I get hit with rocks from both sides. <laughs> right-wing, left-wing. I got friends who like chicken wings. I got, I got friends who are gay. I have friends who are lesbian. I have friends who are trans. Why? Because I'm practicing the ministry of mercy. It's beautiful. Jesus hung out with people who were different than him. He didn't consider their sinfulness contagious. He said, my holiness is going to transform them. Amen? And the Pharisees came out and said, why do you hang out with this scum? By the way, anytime you use a put down like that with some other group, you're being unmerciful. You're tearing down somebody Jesus gave his life for. So let me ask, who's the socially unacceptable group in your circle? Jesus wasn't afraid of guilt by association because he knew who he was. He didn't need the approval of Pharisees. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew his mission to seek and to save that which is lost. And if you know who you are, you won't need the approval, okay, of critics who set themselves up as judge and jury on your life. You actually do what Jesus did. You'll go to have parties with people so you can share the love of Christ and show God's mercy to them. It's beautiful. Can I show you something beautiful? A few years ago, I have friends who are Catholic, many friends, um, and Pope Francis, who I actually really admire. Pope Francis was outside greeting people at the Vatican, huge crowd, like 50,000 people. And suddenly the crowd kind of parted as this man with a horrible disease came forward. This is his picture, hard to look at. His name is Vinicio Riva. It's a genetic disease. It's, it's called neurofibromatosis. It covers him with thousands of painful tumors all over his face and body. Just these, and they, they bleed, they bleed from head to toe. Painful, painful life. And the crowd, the Vatican, literally like, like backed away because like no one wanted to touch him. But the moment Pope Francis saw him, he moved towards him, opened his arms, and embraced him, and kissed him all over his head and his face. That, my friends, is mercy. That photo makes me weep when I look at it. That photo went viral on social media. Somebody tweeted, I'm an atheist, but the more I hear about Pope Francis, the more I like him. Why? Because mercy is beautiful, and it is brilliant, and it is a powerful reflection of Jesus' love for the unlovable. And after that photo went viral, Pope Francis actually tweeted a prayer. He said, Lord, teach us to step outside ourselves. Teach us to go out into the, the streets and manifest your mercy. So this week, I want to dare you to do something kind of risky. I'm just going to tell you, buckle up. I'm going to dare you, double dog dare you, as your pastor, I dare you to commit one act of premeditated mercy this week. With, with any of these five facets we looked at today, how can you be merciful this week, biblically merciful? First, we said be patient with people's quirks. I want you right now to write down the initials of somebody in your life, family member, friend, who has those irritating quirks that God's calling you to be patient with this week. Nobody's going to know. Just write down their initials or put it in your head. Who is God calling you to be patient with their quirks this week? Second facet, help anyone hurting around me. I predicted God's going to put somebody in your path this week who needs your help. Maybe it's a ride to the doctor. They need financial help or, or emotional support. Are you too busy to stop? Or will you get personally involved and extend mercy? Third facet, do good to those who hurt me. 
Who has hurt you recently that you can bless? You can actually offer forgiveness and do go, go beyond. I'm going to do good to them. Think of their face. Write their initials. Jesus wants you to minister mercy this week. Fourth, be kind to those who offend me. Who offends you? Don't point to them. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's somebody close to you, a family member. Maybe it's a politician. You don't even know them. or select. Just write down their name. Who offends you that God wants you to start praying for? If they're close enough, you can actually extend kindness this week. And finally, fifth challenge, build bridges of love to the unpopular. Who is that outcast in your world that Jesus says, I want you to build a bridge of mercy to them? Who's that unpopular person at work, your school, maybe here at church, anywhere? Maybe it's a non-Christian you could actually invite for lunch, just like Matthew did. Invite them to a party and invite them to church. You know what they'll say? They'll say, mercy me. Why are you doing this? And you say, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Amen? Can I add this? Maybe you're the one who needs mercy most today. I realize there are people here, or you might be watching online, and you've actually never accepted God's mercy to you. Let me tell you something. People always say, Can you, Tim, this might be going a little bit far. Is this mercy going too far? Listen to me. On the cross... Jesus was over-the-top merciful. He stretched out his arms and said, Father, forgive him, forgive her. She doesn't know what she's doing. The cross is the most over-the-top display of mercy ever. And Jesus let his enemies beat him and whip him and spit on him and crunch a crown of thorns in his head. And he never struck back one reason, mercy. As broken people, we're all responsible for that. Like Paul said, we are ignorant and unaware what we were doing, and Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Let me tell you something. That's the mercy you can receive from God today, and you need to receive it today. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, that God saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because, let's read it together, but because of his, louder church, because of his mercy. If you haven't received the mercy of God, you got to do that right now. So let's bow our heads for prayer and just ask God for it. Jesus, thank you for your, your crystal clear teaching. Your blessing. You said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Father, you are opening the gates of heaven right now and literally pouring out your mercy. And we can't give to others what we haven't received ourselves. So we come to you with open hands to receive your mercy, your compassion, your forgiveness. Give us what we need, not what we deserve. And that's salvation. If you've never received God's mercy before, you can simply say, God, be merciful to me a sinner. Just say that in your heart. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive my sins. They're many. I turn from them and I ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me. Renew a right heart in me and pour your mercy into my life. Father, I pray for those who are receiving that gift that you would be, birth them again, a new spirit in them, the spirit of Jesus, and they will be your instrument of mercy in this broken world. Father, I pray right now for everybody who are listening online at campuses. Surprise us tomorrow by putting somebody in our path who needs mercy. Lord, we ask that we would do good not to bring glory to ourselves, but so that Jesus gets all the glory. Let us serve with his humility. In his name I pray. Everybody said together, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, 
go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.